You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Everlasting God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Teach us to persevere with our future perfection always in mind. As we endure, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Well, just last night, in fact, every Saturday, there's a Netflix party that you can join. There's a group of us who watch a different movie each uh, Saturday night and would love to welcome you along. Last night, we watched a movie called Bumblebee, which, as it turns out, it's a transformer and not a dating app. Uh, but it was great, and, you know, next week, who knows what's going to be there. But let me tell you this. If I'm about to watch a movie, there are two cardinal sins that you can commit against me that I would love you not to do. Two things that you should never do because it would just spoil my movie-watching experience. The first is this. Please don't ask me questions throughout the movie. Please don't ask me who that character is. Please don't ask me what they're doing. I don't know. I'm I'm watching as much as you're watching. If you wait till the next scene, we'll both find out. Second cardinal sin. Don't spoil the ending. Don't spoil the ending. Nothing could be more frustrating. So, on behalf of humanity, I am pleading with you, please don't spoil the end. If it's the Avengers Endgame, I don't want to know what happens to Thanos. If it's Pride and Prejudice, I don't want to know what happens between Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy. Because if I know the end, I don't want to watch a movie. I mean, we like the suspense, don't we? We need the intrigue. But let me ask, what if we're not watching the story? What if we're in the story? What if we're living the story? What if we're characters in the movie? Surely then we would want to know the end, wouldn't we? It's like the Stockdale paradox that we looked at a few weeks ago. Uh, Admiral James Stockdale was asked how he survived the Hanoi Hilton as a prisoner of war. This is what he said. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I'd get out, but also that I would prevail in the end. If you're living the story, it helps to know the end. How did Stockdale and the other POWs survive the Hanoi Hilton? By knowing the end of the story. By never losing sight or faith in the end of the story. You see, we can persevere through the darkest night if we know that tomorrow the sun will rise. And today, at long last, In the story of God, the sun rises. As we reach the end of the story of God, we see a vision of our future. And it's so glorious that it can carry us through the darkest chapters of our life. In Revelation 21, John wants us to see the end of the story. And it's a future of utter perfection. We will live as a perfect people in a perfect city, perfectly worshipping our perfect King. 
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that compelling? Isn't that a future you long for? You know, when we're fighting against sin and losing, don't lose sight of this vision. When tragedy, sickness and heartbreak come our way, when life just doesn't work out the way that we hoped it would, don't lose sight of this vision. And most of all, when we suffer for following Jesus, don't lose sight of this vision. Act 14, and our final act, eternity. Number one, we will be a perfect people, a perfect people. Well, we're so far from perfect, aren't we? We feel it in our bodies, whether it's chronic fatigue, mental illness, long-term muscle pain. Our bodies are weak and we feel our imperfection every day. We feel it in our relationships, whether it's the breakup of a dating relationship, estrangement from our parents or abuse at the hands of others. We feel our imperfection every day. Well, friends, when you feel your imperfection, as I know so many of us do, don't lose sight of this vision. Just look at verse 1 and catch a glimpse of our future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, this world with all its imperfection and all its brokenness will one day pass away. The sea, which represents the place of evil and chaos, it will be no more. Our world will be free of every imperfection. And notice the picture isn't one of us going to heaven. No, in verse 2, it's a picture of heaven coming to earth. The holy city, the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You know, for those of you who are married, I wonder, do you remember the excitement of your wedding day? Brothers, do you remember what you felt when you saw your bride walking down the aisle adorned in beauty? Do you remember your eagerness to start a whole new life together? Well, you know what? For all of us who trust in Jesus, eternity will be our big day. Whether we're married or single in this life, it doesn't matter. Because there is a marriage that is far greater than any marriage in this life. And all of us who trust in Jesus get to be part of it. It will be the beginning of our new life together with God and one another. You see, the essence of eternity is God himself. Look, look at verse 3. God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. You know, right throughout the Old Testament, we find that same covenant formula. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Our culture makes us obsessed with hearing those words, but from a romantic partner. We want another man or woman to say to us, I will take you as my bride. I will take you as my husband. Well, here's something remarkable. God says to all of us, whether single or married, I will take you as my people. And in eternity, we will be his and he will be ours forever. We often talk about heaven as a place, don't we? 
going to heaven. But God is the one who makes heaven, heaven. You see, at the end of history, at the beginning of eternity, God will bring heaven to earth. He will come to live with us forever. Just imagine for a moment, a newly married wife, only talking about the details of her new house. She's so excited about her new house, but she never shares the joys of her new husband. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Then imagine we realize she only married her husband so she could get a double income and an extra dose of the first homeowner's grant. She only cares about getting into her house and neglects the very person who makes her house her home. Wouldn't that be like us? Only caring about getting into heaven as a place and neglecting the very God who makes heaven our home. Friends, if you don't love God, you won't love heaven. Because the essence of eternity is God himself. And on that day, we will have a perfect relationship with him. You know, verse 4, it has to be one of the most poignant and moving verses in all of Scripture. It's the ultimate comfort for those who have never known comfort. Just imagine the anxiety that cripples you today will lift forever. The chronic fatigue will give way to boundless joy. And we will never be lonely again. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more. Let's pause for a moment. Take a moment to reflect and answer this question. What do you long to see no more of? What do you long to see no more of? Friends, whatever you answered, on that day, all the imperfections of this world, all the imperfections of our life, will be no more. Now that might sound so unbelievable. It might sound too good to be true. In the thick of anxiety, pain and loneliness, how can I believe that there lie better days ahead? Look. Look at verse 5. These words are faithful and true. Because Jesus has already done it. He's already secured our future. We don't need to worry that Jesus might somehow fail. No, verse 6, it is done. Not it will be done. Not it might be done. It is done. From beginning to end, from history to eternity, Jesus controls time itself. He has guaranteed that one day you and I will be a perfect people. If you're thirsty and tired from living in broken bodies, experiencing broken relationships, living in a broken and fallen world, Jesus will satisfy you, refresh you, and give you a life free of imperfection. Verse 6, I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. If you're feeling defeated from fighting your sin and living for Jesus, Jesus will come through for you and give you the greatest gift of all. 
Verse 7, the one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. You see, if we persevere, if we hold on to the gospel, we get heaven itself. We get God himself. So many of us are enduring isolation because we picture the day where we can all re-emerge. So many of us are enduring the imperfections of church over Zoom because we picture the day when we'll all physically regather. You know, I'm praying that our lockdown will actually loosen our grip on this world and teach us how to persevere with eternity in our sights. Because God is calling us to endure through the pain of living for Jesus by picturing the day on which God will perfect his people. But this future is not for everyone. In verse 8, we see that the eternal fate of all who reject Jesus as their king is this. Their share, their inheritance will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you're not a Christian or if you're not confident that you're a Christian, I know that this is a hard message to hear. Because hell is as bad as heaven is good. And that's infinitely bad and infinitely good. The science fiction author Isaac Asimov said this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. What a stupid thing to say. He has no idea of the tortures of hell. And he has no idea of the glories and pleasures of heaven. Please, don't let verse 8 be the end of your story. If you repent and believe in Jesus, you won't just escape the fires of hell. No, you will enter the gates of heaven. Friends, the choice couldn't be starker. John wants us to see that one day you and I, if we hold to the gospel and trust in Jesus, will be a perfect people. Secondly, we will live in a perfect city. We'll live in a perfect city. I don't know about you, but we like to think of Melbourne a bit like a perfect city, don't we? With a culture capital, the coffee capital, the sporting capital. I've noticed in my travels around Australia that if you leave Sydney, most people will say, see you later. Sorry, Pat. If you leave Brisbane, most people will say, let me come with you. Sorry, Hannah. Sorry, James. But if you leave Melbourne, everyone asks, why? Like, why do you want to go anywhere else? You know, for a city as proud as ours, this whole lockdown is a pretty humbling experience, isn't it? Our city is not safe. In fact, it feels less like a city and more like a cell. Our city no longer feels like our home. Well, friends, when you feel out of place in this city, when you feel out of place in our world, don't lose sight of this vision. Look, look at verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. She is arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. I want you to notice in verse 12, this city is surrounded by a massive high wall. It is safe and secure, but it's also guarded. Not everyone can enter. 
This perfect city is the place where death, grief and crying and pain will be no more. But the only way in is through its 12 gates, guarded by 12 angels. You know, right throughout Revelation, that number 12 represents fullness and completeness. So, for those who are permitted, for those who are admitted, there will be perfect access into this perfect city. If you've ever been to a VIP event before, you'll know that experience of driving up to the gate, the security guard approaches your car, knocks on the window. Sir, what's your name? And so you say, Marcus Dunn, Patrick O, Hannah too. And the security guard, he, he checks his list. Oh, Mr. O, welcome. We've been waiting for you. But Mr. Dunn, we, we can't find your name. Sorry, you shall not pass. Actually, Marcus gets in as well. Do you see? Who will be admitted by the 12 angels through the 12 gates into this perfect city? Verse 12, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. Do you see what it's saying? 12 tribes for 12 gates with 12 angels. That's all of God's people. Every last one of us, not one person left behind. Friends, I want you to know, this perfect city has a gate with your name written on it. If you stand on the 12 foundations of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, if you stand on the message of the gospel of Jesus who died to save you from your sins, then one day you will approach this gate and you will hear the angel say, Welcome home. Welcome home. You see, you might be rejected and excluded from every place in this world. You may never hold RACV Club membership. You may never be listed on the BRW Rich List. You may never be included in the popular social networks. But if you stand on the foundation of the apostles of the Lamb, if you cling to Christ and hold on to the gospel, you will never be turned away from the city of God. You will be welcomed into the one place that truly matters. And what a perfect city to be welcomed into. It won't matter if we're rejected from everywhere else because the one place that counts, we enter. In verse 16, this city is shaped like a perfect cube. Now we're meant to read this not literalistically as if this is actually a physical cube, but it's a symbol of perfection. Just as there are 12 angels, 12 gates, 12 tribes, 12 foundations, 12 apostles. The dimensions of this city are 12,000 stadia. Now that equates to about 2,250 kilometers on each side. That's the distance between Adelaide and Brisbane. And in first century Rome, that area would have spanned probably the known world. Do you see what John is saying? This perfect city, it actually represents our perfect world. It will cover every square inch of this earth. God is making all things new and that includes our whole world. It will be renewed into a world that reflects the glory of God in its majesty and beauty. In verses 18 to 21, we see 12 precious stones that make up the foundations of this city. The only reason I know these 12 precious stones is because 
I played computer games like Diablo, but otherwise, I don't know what they are, but they're supposed to be amazing. We see 12 pearls that form 12 gates to this city. This is perfection upon perfection upon perfection. And the beauty of this city represents the beauty of its architect. The perfection of this world reflects the perfection of its creator. Why is this city so beautiful and so perfect? Because the God who lives in it, the God at its center, is beautiful and perfect. That's why there's no temple in verse 22. Because who needs a temple when you have God himself? You see, you might feel like God is distant, absent and far away from you. Like he's silent and impenetrable unreachable, uncontactable. But in eternity, you and I will have pure, unmediated and direct access to our God. And it won't just be us. It'll be every tribe in this world that will come to meet their God. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. You see, whose names are written on those gates? Who will join us in this perfect city and this perfect world? Won't just be Patrick or Marcus or Hannah or all of us gathered here. No, Christians from Groot Island, saved through the ministry and the work of Matt and Kate Vinicom who are there. Christians across Southeast Asia, saved through the ministry of pastors and missionaries trained at ETC Asia. Christians from every tribe say through the future missionaries that we're going to send out from our church may be saved through you. You see, one day God will open the book of life and he will call out the names. Guyangua from Groot Island. Chun Sing from Singapore. Eddie from Melbourne. All their names written in that book. All our names written in that book. And that means that one day, the perfect city will be our eternal home. And you know what? Unlike the city we live in today, it's going to be the place of ultimate safety. You see, friends, I want you to know that the safest place to be is where God himself dwells. The safest place to be is where God himself dwells. In verse 25, we see that its gates will never close by day but it will never be night there. Imagine that. Never having to lock our doors at night. Never having to hide a spare key. Why? Because verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it. The safest place to be is where God himself dwells. I know that some of us might be afraid of physically regathering as a church when that happens in a few months. I totally understand your concern and all of our concern for our physical safety. And we're going to do our best to make sure that we're a COVID safe church that we can gather in. But here's the reality. For every day that we stay physically apart, we expose ourselves to spiritual danger. For every day that we stay physically apart, we expose ourselves to spiritual danger. God dwells now among his people. And that means that the safest place to be is where the word of God is preached. In fact, the safest place to be is right here, right now. The safest place to be is among the people of God. 
So when we physically regather, can I urge you, come, come. Because our physical regathering as a church is a foretaste of this perfect city that we will one day call our eternal home. Finally, we will perfectly worship our perfect King. I don't know about you, but I find it so hard to live for Jesus in this world. It can be so hard to fight against sin every day, to serve my King with my whole heart. And if you're anything like me, then we need to not lose sight of this vision. Look. Look at chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. You see, at the center of this perfect city is the throne of our perfect king. And from that throne flows the river of life, and planted around that river is the tree of life. The tree which we saw right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Well, it's right here in the city of God. But you know, this tree, it's not exactly the same. Because the tree here in the city of God is actually the very same tree on which Jesus died. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That is the tree that we find here in the city of God. That's the tree of life. The tree which bears our curse is the tree which gives us life. You know, when I was growing up, I was told and always thought that heaven is a never-ending church service. Praise and worship, quite literally, on an infinite loop. To be honest, if that's the case, Lord have mercy. No, the picture of perfect worship we find in Revelation, it starts with a perfect relationship. Verse 4 tells us that finally we will see God face to face. Finally, we will bear his name as his children forever. And as his children, we will worship him by reigning with Jesus forever and ever and ever. I know that others of us growing up we're actually afraid of heaven. Because life in the new creation can sound, well, awfully boring, can't it? It's as if we have to endure an eternity of retrenchment with absolutely nothing to do. But the picture we see here in Revelation couldn't be more different. We will do what Adam and Eve were created to do. We will cultivate God's creation, extend his kingdom in our world. We will progress, advance, even improve that creation, not from imperfection to perfection, but from perfection to perfection to perfection. Eternity is not us sitting around with nothing to do forever. It's us reigning this world with Jesus forever. For you Narnia fans out there, Peter, Susan, Edwin and Lucy, in the end, ruled as kings and queens over Narnia, under Aslan, the king above all high kings. Well, in the same way, brothers and sisters, you and I will one day rule as kings and queens over this new world, but under Jesus, the king above every king.
You know, before sin entered the world, God created us to work. And after sin is eradicated from our world, God will continue to call us to work. If you find it hard to integrate your love for Jesus with your day job, believe me, on this last day, you won't struggle at all. That tension between faith and work, Sunday and Monday, it'll finally be at an end. When you struggle to worship God at work, when you feel torn between your ambition for the gospel versus your ambition for self, keep this vision before you that one day we will perfectly worship our perfect king. Friends, as we close, the truth is this. Living for Jesus in this life, it's not easy. In fact, Life isn't easy. Just because you want something doesn't mean you'll get it. And quite often the worst tragedies befall the best of people. And anyone who tells you otherwise, to be blunt, doesn't have a grip on reality. Life is hard. The bringer of good news today. Welcome to Cross and Crown. Year 12 students. Life only gets more complicated. And the pressure that you feel right now in VCE, well, it's only the beginning. It's nothing compared to the pressures that life will throw your way in the years to come. Uni students, we we love you dearly. You say that you have no time and you're really busy. Out of deep love and respect, you're not. Life will only get busier and responsibility will only increase. You know, one of my friends in his 60s, he told me the other day that He said, by my age, I know very few friends who have not experienced some significant form of trauma in their life. A miscarriage, a divorce, sickness like cancer, depression or unemployment. The harsh reality is that life isn't easy. The question isn't, how can I find a stress-free life? That's simply not going to happen. And if we're aiming for that, the problem is that when actually tragedy hits, we won't be prepared. Now, granted that life is hard, the question is this. How will we persevere? How will we persevere? How will we run this race well? How will we finish this race well? The truth is, if there's no rhyme or reason to history, and life is just an accident with no purpose or goal, then you and I have no hope. The atheistic worldview, to be blunt, is bereft of hope and avoid of darkness. But we Christians have the best reason to persevere because we have a picture of perfection that awaits us. We know how this story ends. We know that in the end, we will prevail. We know that a day is coming when we will be a perfect people living in a perfect city, a perfect world, perfectly worshipping our perfect king. Gosh, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait till sin is no more. I can't wait till death is gone. I can't wait till grief, crying and pain are no more. Keep that vision before you. Don't lose faith in the end. Hold on to the words of Jesus, who tells us at the end of Revelation, at the end of the story of God, yes, I'm coming soon.
He's on his way. He hasn't forgotten. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Act 14, eternity. Let's pray. Everlasting God, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Teach us to persevere with our future perfection always in mind. And as we endure, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.